0: Welcome to Today on Broadway for Friday, March 30th, 2018. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini.
1: And I'm Broadway World's Julie Muspack.
0: Julie, we, before we get started, we want to send out the best to everybody over in Milburn, New Jersey, as last night, the Paper Mill Playhouse kicked off the world premiere production of the new musical, The Sting, based on the iconic 1973 film, which now I have to feel like I'm you or Daniela or Natalie and say, I've never seen the film, although this has literally been something for the past 15 15, 20 years, my dad has said, I can't believe you've never seen that movie. Um, So I feel like I have to watch it at some point. I know it's a classic, but... I haven't seen it. The book for this is by man in chair Bob Martin. Music and lyrics are by Mark Holman and Greg Kotis, with Harry Connick Jr. being added just because he's the new star of the show. Scott Joplin classics, including The Entertainer, are also included. John Rando is directing with Warren Carlyle doing the choreography. We've talked about the show a lot. Originally, Steve Kazee was playing the part that Harry Connick Jr. is now playing. Maybe uh, after some of the stuff we're going to talk about later in the show, Steve he might be wishing he was still doing uh, this thing, <laughs> but we'll, we'll get to that. Um, but before we do, um, James is, as we're recording, currently at part one of Angels in America, along with our dear, beloved friend, Robbie Roselle. Um, apparently, James's wife had no interest to sit through not one, but two four-hour plays in consecutive nights, so Robbie is joining James. But he wanted me to let everybody know that this week on Broadway, on Sunday, The great Andrew Keenan-Bolger, who we talked about yesterday coincidentally, will be the guest. And then on Monday's episode, we are going to be recording super late. It'll be me, James, and Natalie. We're doing it late because we want to have our thoughts on Jesus Christ Superstar Live. So we will have a full review for that on Monday. Julie, have you decided after our conversation yesterday whether or not you will actually watch Jesus Christ Superstar Live? Are you 100% committed at this point?
1: Not 100%. I want to, but it depends on whether I can, because I don't have cable.
0: It's it's on NBC. Do you get, like, just over-the-air stuff?
1: No, I don't have a TV connected.
0: Oh, well, then I guess that's a problem, then, maybe.
1: Right. So I'll have to see if they have a
0: streaming option on the site. Or you could find a friend who has a TV. But. And leave anyway. my apartment? Leave your apartment. <laughs> no. You said you're feeling better. You've been sick. You're feeling better, though.
1: Yeah, but I'm doing laundry tomorrow. That's enough.
0: Oh, Lord. All (laughs) right. Let's get into the news, Jules.
1: All right. So, first up, critics are loving Broadway's Three Tall Women revival.
0: Yeah, we are recording at about eight thirty, eight forty-five 45 here on Thursday night, so not all of the reviews are in. So we're going to give you some of them, um, and if there's anything that is dramatically different, we'll update you on Monday. But I have a feeling that most of them will be just as glorious as the ones we're going to talk about. If you're unfamiliar, Edward Albee's Three Tall Women officially opened on Broadway last night with three tremendous stars. Two-time Academy Award winner Glenda Jackson, also a former MP over in the UK. Um, then we have, of course, Tony winner and three-time Emmy winner Laurie Metcalf and Tony nominee Allison Pill. Julie, I, I hesitated on what I put into these reviews because there's a lot of spoilers in these reviews. So I tried to dance around those, not only <laughs> for what I included to talk about here, but But I've got a ticket to see this show in June, so I was trying to avoid them just in how I was reading them. So we'll give you a little bit of information for everybody listening if you haven't seen it, but um, nonetheless, the show is great and it has three tremendous stars. But let's start with Alison Adato from Entertainment Weekly, who sums up the plot succinctly without giving too much away. She said, quote, having its Broadway premiere nearly a quarter century after its off-Broadway debut, Three Tall Women is far from an easy evening of theater, despite being a swift Intermissionless hour and a half. In the first act, a woman in her nineties, played by Glenda Jackson and identified in the program only as A, strong of will but failing of mind, is tended to by a woman in her fifties, Lori Metcalf, B, and visited for vague legal reasons by a woman in her twenties, Alison Pill, as C. The text, by turns poignant and funny, can also be like Jackson's character, prickly and distant. Okay, so that's the the summation of the show. We'll try not to spoil too much of that from there. Marilyn Stassio Variety wrote, quote, Watching Glenda Jackson in theatrical flight is like looking straight into the sun. Her expressive face registers her thoughts while guarding her feelings, but it's the voice that really thrills. Deeply pitched and clarion clear, it's the commanding voice of stern authority. Don't mess with this household god or she'll turn you to stone. Stasio continues, quote, If there is one thing Jackson is not, it is Sentimental. There are lines, like, you count on them and they die or go away, that some thesps would milk like a cow, but not Jackson, with her commitment to truth and performance. Not even a real heartbreaker like, I remember being tall, can break her down. She's tough, and in her toughness, she shows us exactly what makes A a memorable character, her unbending backbone. The irony is Albie supposedly wrote this play to even things up with his difficult mother. With Jackson in the role, his mother punches back. Adam Feldman from Time Out New York gave the, the show five out of five stars. And similarly, Matt Winman from AM New York gave it four and a half out of five. And he wrote, quote, who exactly are the three tall women played by Glenda Jackson, Laurie Metcalf and Allison Pill? Are they real people or just voices in someone's head? It depends. The play, which was inspired by Albie's difficult relationship with his own parents, is a brutal, compelling, and comic assessment of aging, physical incapacitation, memory loss, and death. It, it has renewed relevance today given the increased focus on elder care. Jackson, Metcalf, and Pill all give superb performances. Now, like I said, Julie, I have, before I left New York earlier this week, I had to go and get a ticket um, just to make sure because it was selling so well and I knew the reviews are going to be great. I know that you are a big fan of of all theater, especially with a British star and especially um, with strong, powerful women in it. If you can find a ticket that doesn't bankrupt you, are, are, are you planning on trying to see this one at some point? Um,
1: I'm not sure. I If I could, I would see everything, honestly, but I don't know of if course. I can slip it in or if i can find a ticket that i can afford that would still be worth buying even yeah i'll have to see
0: and i know you often try to avoid things with a certain producer behind them
1: oh no no that's fine i don't know you mind can that.
0: get over it okay all right yeah so for people who don't know you being the the british uh the anglophile that you are i think people have kind of forgotten about glenda Jackson, a two-time academy award winner she spent Quite a while in the British Parliament as an MP, and she's only recently kind of started getting back into acting. She played King Lear at the old Vic a couple years ago, and if, but as we've said with actors like Frank Langella on the show, you never know when the last time to see a star of this magnitude is going to be. So uh, if anybody out there wants to see this show, I think it would not be a missed or I think it would be a missed opportunity if you turned it down just because you couldn't find the time. So I'm looking forward to seeing more of these reviews. Of course, I I think it'll probably get a, a get a rave from either Brantley or Green, whoever went and saw it. But if anything changes, we will let you know on Monday.
1: So what do we have in show and casting news?
0: All right. Last night, the esteemed Baz Bama boy tweeted out new information about this summer's London premiere of Lisa Crone and Janine Tesori's landmark musical Fun Home. The show, which will play London's Old Vic, will again be directed by Tony winner Sam Gold and is scheduled to run from June 18th through September 1st. That we already knew. But last night... Baz sent out some information, which will probably be a column in tomorrow's Daily Mail, that Swedish-slash-British stage and screen actress Keisha Hammerland will play Allison, and she will be joining Tony nominee Jenna Russell as, uh, as Helen, Zubin Farla as Bruce, and Cheryl Skeet as Joan. Now, Julie, you will be summering in Scotland, which is why you're hesitant to spend uh, a lot of money on tickets. Uh, do you have any plans to venture down to London to see some shows? Would this be something that you'd check out knowing how much you love all things British and, and female empowerment.
1: I'm for sure going to London to see some shows. I already have at least one ticket booked. This one. I don't know about, I saw fun home when it was on Broadway and it's incredible. It's such an amazing show, but it's just so not my style. I don't like that hmm. really forcefully uncomfortable
0: <laughs> feeling
1: that you get from it, I really admire it, but it's not something that I like to see. So I don't know if I would go see it.
0: Okay, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. I, I often talk about how I don't like the things that make you uncomfortable and and awkward. I don't like that stuff. Which I've never seen. I haven't seen Fun Home. I'm I've got tickets to see a regional production here in Florida this summer. So now I now I'm a little nervous based off that review, Julie. <laughs> no, it's a
1: fantastic show. You will absolutely appreciate it for what it is, at the very least.
0: Yeah, okay. All right, I hope you're right. But um, Staying out of town with a show and casting news, but going from London to St. Louis, earlier this week it was announced that Grammy-winning stage and screen star Nathan Lee Graham would be playing the title character in the Muni's first staging of the musical The Wiz in over 36 years. Graham is perhaps most known for his screen roles in Zoolander in Sweet Home Alabama and currently on Fox's sitcom L.A. to Vegas, but he was also seen on Broadway in The Wild Party. The I said The Wild Party, So it's the Michael John LaCusa version, as well as Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, and a number of off-Broadway shows as well. A St. Louis native, he will be joined by Jared Grimes as the Scarecrow, Michael Kilgore as the Lion, and James T. Lane as the Tin Man. The show will be directed by Dennis Jones and choreographed by Camille A. Brown, who is currently represented on Broadway in Once on This Island. The show will play St. Louis's massive outdoor theater from June 19th through the 25th, and interestingly enough, uh, a year or two ago, whenever... Zoolander 2 came out. I interviewed uh, Nathan Lee Graham, and he was wonderful and delightful and had a lot of stories. So if you're interested, let me know, and I can send you over that article link.
1: Okay, so moving on, critics did not love Pretty Woman's Chicago (laughs) premiere.
0: Yeah, take whatever the tone was for Three Tall Women – And think about the opposite. For the most part, there were some uh, dissenters in there, as there always are with Chicago. But as we talked about yesterday, the pre-Broadway tryout production of the Pretty Woman Musical began officially opened at Chicago's Oriental Theater last night. The show is scheduled to run there, and then almost immediately come to Broadway. The, the marquee's already up uh, at the at uh, at the the-, at the Niederlander. I think it's at the Niederlander. Yeah. Um, at the Niederlander on Broadway. is supposed to start performances in August, I believe. But, man, it seems like they might have some work to do based off some of these reviews. Now, I'm going to start with Chris Weyer of Time Out Chicago, who gave the show just one out of five stars. And Julie and dear listeners, I'm going to apologize. But I there. it is so funny his review i'm going to read a lot of it so i apologize for that um first speaking of the songwriting team of the legendary rocker brian adams and his longtime songwriting partner jim he said quote the pair have delivered exactly what they were presumably asked for a collection of songs largely stripped of character coherence or specificity tagged with bland (laughs) blandly meaningless titles like something about her and you and i and filled with platitudinous lyrics So artless and generic, you wonder how the performers can memorize them. He also writes of the book, which was written by original screenwriter J.F. Lawton and the late uh, film director uh, Gary Marshall. He said, quote, Even if you leave aside for a moment the highly questionable decision to revisit this particular entry in the annals of patriarchy, in 2018 with an all-male creative team and without altering the arc to give its female lead more agency, there's more to adapting a movie to the stage than simply restaging its scenes. As it stands now, Pretty Woman the Musical is less an act of translation than transcription. He finally ends his review with this doozy. Quote, director Jerry Marshall seems, quite frankly, stymied by its smallness, a feeling which extends to David Rockwell's sketchy scenic design and Greg Barnes's mimeographed costumes. There are no opportunities for for big production numbers. Even most of Vivian and Edward's songs, despite appealing work by Barks and, and Kazee, Samantha Barks and Steve Kazee, are less suited to advancing the story or character development than they would be to layering over end credits. Okay. earmuffs for any young people out there for his final line as cinda fucking Rella stories go this one's not quite ready for the ball Wow. Uh, despite <laughs> that guy's American Kitchen and Bar level review, some critics did find some positive things to say, and most of them centered around Samantha Barks as Vivian the Julie uh, the Julia Roberts role. Uh, Miriam DeNunzio from Chicago Sun Times said, "Quote: There is so much to like here, starting with Samantha Barks in her portrayal of Vivian. Barks's megawatt smile lights up the stage. Her powerhouse voice packs an emotional punch to every note she sings." Miriam adds uh, about Steve Kazee that he's still finding his way with Edward, perhaps because on stage he is, quote, too dysfunctional to rescue the enchanting Vivian. Stephen Oxman of Variety said, The lack of creativity surrounding her makes Barks' performance more noteworthy. As long as she's on stage, the show fundamentally flows. Now, of course, as has become standard operating procedure for Broadway-bound productions starting off in the Windy City, Chris Jones of the Chicago Tribune, loved it. He wrote, quote, in its best moments, and there is a lot of good stuff here, not the least of which is a fresh genie-like narrator, very amusingly played by Eric Anderson, Pretty Woman evokes the true thrill of coming from nothing and suddenly landing in, well, Beverly Hills. Adams and Valance have written several populist songs on that My Fair Lady theme. He continues, Barks can really pull off that class differential without patronizing stereotype, and so can the great Orfe. Barks really earns her paycheck on I Can't Go Back, another hot number on a list of 18 pretty creditable originals, quite varied in style, and nary one from the massive Adams backlist. Now, Julie, I've seen a lot of musicals in my time, and I've reviewed quite a few musicals as well. But I've never left a show and, and really praised its score with words like populist and pretty creditable. So even though Jones seems to write fairly unintelligible raves about every show that starts in Chicago, this one still feels like he's trying to subtly say the score sucks.
1: I think it's all hysterical, to be quite <laughs> honest.
0: <laughs> I know you're not a big fan of like this and My Fair Lady and Carousel being on Broadway around the same time, but just in general, you think it's funny that the show is not getting good reviews?
1: I do. I Yeah, I think it's funny that something that I thought wasn't going to work is in fact not working.
0: And you know, I think there's a good point. I um, I, I forget who it, which one it was. Maybe the timeout one talks about the fact that this doesn't really seem to fit Jerry Mitchell's style of these big show-stopping numbers. When you think of Jerry Mitchell, that's what you think. And it seems like this is such a small story. It's about two people. There's no factory with a bunch of people wearing, you know kinky boots to to do that's not a big show about um a big sororities or or hairspray you know it doesn't seem like there's those opportunities and it looks like they haven't manufactured them based off the movie to kind of make it fit what the director does well so i'm a little surprised by that and especially with such a quick turnaround the show only runs through um i believe the end of april and then it will take the summer off and then we'll start performances on broadway In the in the late summer, uh, early fall, depending on how you define it. And I I just have to wonder if, like you said, you didn't think it would work. The critics don't think it's going to work. So do they try to make it work or do they just leave well enough alone because they don't have much time to fix it?
1: I would be a little disappointed if they didn't try to fix as much as they could. I think there is that aspect of finding your comfort level in it. And that's what an out-of-town tryout is for, is for figuring out, certainly, you know, finally seeing on stage and in front of an audience what's going to work and what isn't. So, I mean, if they have that time off, that's what that's for. So I really hope that they take advantage of that. I don't know if they can, you know, fix everything enough for people to enjoy it, but we'll have to see.
0: Yeah. And I, I apologize. I don't have the dates right in front of me. Um... But they really only have like three months between when it closes in Chicago and when it starts performances on Broadway, which means they'll probably have a month of rehearsal before that. So they have two, two and a half months. I mean, you know, maybe up to three if I'm getting the dates uh, a little wrong. They don't have a ton of time to completely overhaul this show. So I would imagine that most of what people are seeing in Chicago is going to be what we see in New York, even if they do try to tweak things here and there. It's, It's tough to rewrite a musical in two, three months.
1: Yeah, we'll have to see what they end up doing. I mean, I hate to see something fail, but I also think that something like this failing is the only thing that's going to send the message that we don't need these kinds of shows on Broadway right now.
0: Yeah, yesterday you were very clear that you didn't like the whole movie a musical thing, but then especially I think you also, as we're going to talk about here in a second, kind of over the misogynistic shows being turned into lighthearted fair as well.
1: I definitely am, Yeah.
0: yeah. Alright, well let's move on to that next story then.
1: All right, so the Kilroys are looking for new members.
0: Yes, this is a group that we've talked about quite a bit on this show over the year, uh, over the years. But yesterday, uh, Depp Tran from uh, American Theatre reported that the theatre collective known as the Kilroys are currently seeking applications for new members. The group is most well known for compiling the list, which tracks plays by women and transgender playwrights, as nominated by hundreds of dramaturgs, literary managers, and artistic leaders around the country in an effort to promote gender parody in the works presented on stage. The Kilroys is a group of 13 women, and they are seeking applications from theater artists through April 13th to replace that original group of 13, all of whom will still stay on in an advisory capacity. According to the article, quote, the only requirement is that any prospective Kilroy should spend part of the year in Los Angeles and, quote, Care about the cause. The Kilroys are looking for no more than thirteen new members, and we will have more information on how you can apply in the show notes at BroadwayRadio.com. Now, Julie, as we've kind of hinted at in the the last story or two, I, I know you haven't had much of a chance to discuss these types of issues on Broadway Radio yet, although we are working on that. But you and I have talked about this stuff and other gender equality issues quite a bit off air, both in person and you know in our Slack channels and stuff. Um, so I know this is something near and dear and close to your heart and a passion of yours. You uh, you thinking about applying and uh, maybe being a Kilroy? I know you're you know originally from Northern California. You you could spend some time in Los Angeles if you had to, right?
1: You know, they had me up until that point. I oh. was like, oh, this is so cool. Oh, this is amazing. Oh, I'm totally doing... Oh, part of the year in Los Angeles. Ugh. No. You've, you, oh. now you've
0: lived in Los Angeles before, right?
1: No, I haven't. I've no. only oh, spent... Right. A few days here and there, and all of them in the car because that's what you do in LA—is you live in your car.
0: I mean, not not like you live do. in your car, yeah.
1: But you pretty much do. Okay. You have an apartment that you you know you keep your car at when you're sleeping or something. <laughs> that's well, about it.
0: Either way, we've talked about the list uh, a lot and it uh, all the great that it does. But as Trans said in the article, it. Even if it's done a lot of good over the years to help increase the amplification of these female and trans playwrights, it is still such a disparity between the shows that are getting produced across the country at major regional theaters that are written by men. And not written by men so this is a there's a long way to go for the Kilroys to uh, secure their cause so to speak so if you are somebody who is a theater artist who does either live in Los Angeles or doesn't hate it nearly as much as Julie does maybe you'll want to apply and we'll have the link in the show notes
1: yeah or let's start it in New York let's make a little offshoot I could head that up
0: there you go let's do it
1: Okay, so next up, MCC releases edited video of Sarah singing "Make Them Hear You" at Miscast Twenty Eighteen. Uh,
0: this one, this one disappoints me, and and maybe I'm, maybe I'm not being sensitive enough to everything that goes into this. But um, I know Julie earlier this week you talked about some of the videos that have been released coming from MCC's Miscast Gala. And um, I, I was there. Alan, our co-worker, Alan and I were there on Monday night, and we saw the whole thing. And the evening ended with Sarah Bareilles singing the great anthem from Ragtime, Cole House Walker Jr.'s anthem, Make Them Hear You. Now, I don't think we've discussed this on air, but I know I talked about it a little bit on Twitter. About halfway through, Sarah went up on her lyrics. She actually said beforehand, like, I'm really... Uh, you know, I, I'm a little mad that no one else brought their lyrics because I've got my lyrics here. And then halfway through, she went up on our lyrics. She forgot her lyrics. She stopped the whole song, had the music director restart. She got back up to the part, forgot the lyrics again. And then she was so mortified and, and heartbroken um, about it. It really showed how much not only the the night and the evening, but the message of the song um, as it was written, the message of the song in today's world really meant to her. And it was unbelievably endearing, and it showed just how much she cared and how important the performance was to her, how important the song was to her. But when they released the video of it last night, as they're releasing all these videos, it was edited together as if there were no mistakes that happened, and I totally get it. Sarah Bareilles is a huge star, and she's, you know, in the throes of rehearsing for Jesus Christ Superstar live, and I get it. And she was probably—I mean, she was. She was super embarrassed. She said she wanted to just crawl up and disappear. I get it, but I really felt like seeing that passion and that vulnerability and that humanity could have been really. And it could have been a good message for people out there to see this huge, gigantic star fall flat on her face, recognize that she fall flat on her face and not try to ignore it, own it, and then go on and deliver a fantastic performance. So it's a great production. She sounds fantastic. I, it was great. I just was disappointed that they took kind of the element of the live performance out of it. And massaged it all together to make it look like it was one seamless performance, but maybe that's just me Maybe I'm not being sensitive to how embarrassing that would be but I was I was just disappointed that MCC went that route
1: Yeah, I don't know that that's a hard one because i'm sure she would feel so much better knowing that It was cut together in that way and that the majority of the people are going to see it as though It went off without a hitch Sure. I mean because that's the scariest thing that's got to happen to you as a performer is, you know You make a mistake it's the one thing you're not supposed to do. So, right.
0: But it's live. It's live theater. It's live performance. That's that's part of the gig. But anyway, if you want to check it out, we'll have the link in the show notes, of course. And there's been some other ones that have gone up. A Caravaglio from uh, Moana and NBC's Rise. Uh, she sang a song from... West Side Story. And beforehand, she admitted that she had no idea what West Side Story was before they sent her the song, before Bernie Telsey, the, one of the co-artistic directors of MCC, sent her the song as a suggestion. So that was a little endearing, but also a little bit of annoying, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> All right, so everybody, thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Matt, And Jen and I are recording a new Some Like It pop this weekend, so make sure you subscribe wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Then, Julie, where can people find you?
1: I am on Twitter at Julie Musback.
0: Thank you guys so much. Remember, Andrew Keenan-Bolger will be on this week on Broadway on Sunday. And then on Monday's episode, James, Natalie, and I will discuss... Everything Jesus Christ Superstar Live if I can stay awake that long. So have a great Friday and a great weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you on Monday.